Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Truth and movies. The Squeakwell. Today, all about my mother. Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson and Eatable Epithets star in The Hitman's Bodyguard. We take a look at that and the Philadelphia story that is Quest, sprawling documentary of a tribe called Rainey and their trials and tribulations on the streets of Philadelphia. Plus, walk that one off, it's the Stephen King adaptation par excellence that is Misery in our film club. Truth and Movies, it's a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it is. Hello there, you. And uh, welcome to the show, which features today myself and David Jenkins. Hi there. And that's all. Just so, you and me, solo David. mission. Yeah. <laughs> and this is exciting. You're very much in a no-sleep-till-truth-and-movies mode, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, I, I was on a on a night shift last night right. and uh, have driven straight all through the night. All through. And uh, I'm on vapours now, but, yeah. um, you know, I'm going to give it my all. Yes. And I'd love some feedback as to whether you can tell uh, my uh, sleep-deprived state is, is impairing my critical faculties. Absolutely no impact that I can see so far. You've been putting the magazine to bed, which means that you didn't get to go yourself. Indeed. It's yeah. almost, almost there. It's in the oven. Is it? We just need to close the oven. All right, then. Lots of people getting in touch. Thanks, listeners. Uh, if you'd like to give us a message, there's the email, truthandmovies.tco london.com or at little white lies or twitter or find us on facebook here's chris b saying can you please pass on my thanks to david for taking james to task for being a pronunciation mocker i worked with a person for many years who did this also and it irritated the hell out of me very belittling says chris b well that's interesting that that comes up actually because i did notice Mm. right that when i mispronounced the name of a certain Jean-Pierre Melville film, which I'm, I'm loath to say its name again. Which one? For fear of uh, further reprisals. But, I mean, you, you did have a quite a funny pronunciation of a certain star of the film Speed. Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Am I allowed to bring that up? Keanu Reeves. It's Keanu, is it? I always thought it was Keanu Reeves. Is it Keanu Reeves? Yeah, but and you I called him Keanu or Qu- something. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Well, no, you're so right. So we're, we're even. Laugh at me. Laugh I, at I, me. I could have brought that up last week, but I chose to leave it. Yeah, you know Better what, man. David? I've learned an important lesson here today. <laughs> and glad. thanks, Crispy. Uh, here's another message. Sorry, we'll get through this quickly, listeners. Monica Simeonova, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, went to see Birth by Jonathan Glazer. You remember David Larry was recommending that here on the show because he's our friend last week. And uh, Monica says she really liked it. 
I'm curious to find out what you think of it. Well, don't ask David because he, 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 you're not a fan, are you, David? Do you know what? I I need to see it again. All right, we all do. And indeed, Monica suggests we stick it on Film Club. Uh, the Deadpool edition of Little White Lies is still some way off. Uh, George Cook and Terence Banyard both weighing in on that most important of issues. Terence Banyard is very much in favour of the film. George Cook, not so much. If you'd like to say something to our faces, by the way, that pretty unique opportunity will uh, present itself on the 17th of September. That's Sunday, the 17th of September. Where? At the London Podcast Festival. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, My first podcast festival. It, mine too, actually. Oh, wow. And we've got the prime slot, uh, 9.30 on Sunday evening. That's Un- until checking out time. Until checking out time. <laughs> uh, and that's at King's Place from their website. I'm going to guess the tickets are still available and you should have plenty of room to spread out, probably. Yeah. Bring a nice bag to put next to you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, stretch out. Perhaps. Not you, David, because that would be disastrous if you were to lie prone. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on then, because we've got plenty to get through today. And first up, after this drum break, it's The Hitman's Bodyguard. I'm a AAA rated executive protection agent. And you're the most wanted hitman in the world. My job is to keep you out of harm's way. That was a hitman's bodyguard. To flesh out the story a little bit hold more. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. A hitman yeah. has a bodyguard. That's right. But that's the twist of the film. That's the intriguing concept that this in- incredible motion picture experience is, is built upon. Right. The series of events that leads to the AAA rated protection agent, Ryan Reynolds, having to protect one of the world's most notorious hitmen, Samuel L. Jackson, as he uh, tries to make it to the court on time, despite the efforts of various Eastern European assassins, all with predictably hilarious consequences. Uh, Gary Oldman is involved, which is, I think, a good thing. And, uh, I mean, David, first off, I was excited by this film, a mismatched buddy movie. How successful is it on a scale of one to midnight run? I think it's maybe like Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh. Which, yeah, is, is obviously, you know, not as, it's no Beverly Hills Cop 3, but then at the same time, it's no Beverly Hills Cop 1. So Actually, you know what? That's a terrible metaphor because Beverly Hills Cop isn't even a buddy movie. So actually, is it, it kind, it, of, it is, kind of is, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I've got that completely Mismatch wrong. buddy Mismatch movie. Mismatch buddy movie. Thrown together. Two men thrown together by circumstances. <laughs> they start out with kind of some enmity, but end up with a kind of mutual grudging respect for each other. I don't know yes. if you've ever had a similar experience in your life. We all have. That, right. that, I mean, I think that is a, a metaphor for life and ex- existence in, in its entirety. So mm. um, Anyway, this film, though, how good? It's okay. You know, it passed the time. I think I looked at my watch about twice during it. Um, Is that, I don't know how often you normally do that in a movie. I mean, it's a good sign if I'm, if I'm not drawn to the watch. Right. Um, I don't tend to look at the watch as a kind of, oh, I'm, I want to go home, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of my tea. Right. Uh, it's more of a kind of, should, shouldn't we be a bit further ahead down the road yeah. by this point? You know, okay. we're, we're an hour in and we're still kind of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt this film took a long time to, to get going. Oh. To get Ryan and uh, Samuel together. Okay. There was a long old schlep. Interesting. I found it took a long time to, to finish up, if you will, because there's no oh, question. Sh- I agree with that as well. The movie, it is half an hour too long. 
Yeah, and it's 15 minutes on either side, I think. Would you say? A, okay. you, you, I, you would top and tail it, I I'm think. very patient with a film at the front end. Uh, so I always think if you're going to get any boring stuff away, get it out the way. In the, the opening shot, people will sit and watch that for forever, mm. I think. But it, back to this film. So actually, you quite enjoyed it. I mean, I thought that it was a film which understood its its own limitations. And I think that the one thing it realised is that the golden goose here is Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson in a kind of confined space, having some kind of extended sweary banter with each other. And there are like two or three bits in the film where it's almost like a kind of waiting for Godot setup, where right. it's just it's a two man job, them together, these lengthy bickering sessions. Mm. You know, I found them very entertaining, which is kind of weird for an action film that's got lots of stunts and people running around cities in with with machine guns and and, 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 and stuff like that. Well. And speedboat chase, Lovely, great speedboat chase. I was thinking, what what was the sort of prime decade for the for the movie speedboat chase? Well, I would, I mean, live and let die is what I immediately thought of even yeah. looks like the same model of boat and that's for me the classic speedboat chase although I, you've got plenty of other examples even in indiana jones and the, yeah, the last yeah. crusade that's my, that's a favorite of mine is it but this this seemed he was in a speedboat but i'm not this i don't necessarily think they did anything with the speedboat do you not think he just it was just kind of i'm on a speedboat i'm on a speed but i'm on a boat you i'm know. on a boat yeah yeah <laughs> um You've been impossible to watch this film and not think of Beckett uh, as yes. indeed you've done it. It's interesting that they actually apparently rewrote this film. It was meant to be a drama, a proper hard-boiled thriller. And presumably when they secured the services of Reynolds and Jackson, they went, yeah, we'll go with the chemistry angle, the, the capery buddy movie Road 2 type thing. And they rewrote it as a comedy just a few weeks before filming. I would say that it does work. I mean, if you don't like Ryan Reynolds' shtick... Or Samuel Jackson saying "mother," etc. The whole MF. time, MF. Then you might struggle with this, but if if that does tickle you, mm. that's funny you say that because mm. I I think that if this had gone ahead and been a drama, mm. it strikes me as the sort of thing that might have like gone straight to DVDs and you see it in the supermarket kind of thing. It was directed very much as a straight to DVD film I would say. Yes. The visuals look I'm it, not even sure I'd say it was directed. <laughs> I mean it's it's there's not much there really. Mr. Patrick Hughes. Yeah. Who and, previously and I, did The Expendables 3. Of course. So I was trying to work out what the look of it is because there's various kind of dodgy laptop CGI explosions and stuff. Which doesn't really matter in the spirit of the film. It's all, that's all fine. Hmm. Uh, but it looks a little bit like the movie within a movie. You know when you see a film about people making a film and then you get to see some bits of the film? It looked about that level. It did, actually, yeah. Are you familiar with the term Euro pudding? No. No. Oh, okay. Euro pudding. Euro pudding. So that's a term I, um, that I've read in other cleverer people's critical prose right. when they describe a movie that has come together with funds from various uh, locations yeah, yeah. and as a kind of proviso for that they have to then include all these locations in the films and stars from various places as well so it's a kind of euro pudding in that you've got like people from various places i don't think it necessarily ex it means just European people are in it. No, you, no, there's but, often american yeah. stars but it's mm -hmm. kind of weird middle european i mean one of the main locations is, is actually Coventry. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting, really. I love that. So this is a movie that starts with a classic kind of uh, The Apprentice 
establish a shot, a helicopter flying over the gherkin and, and, and similar. And then they go to Manchester, and I'm thinking, well, a little bit left field. But then they start their escape to The Hague, or The Hag, rather. It's <laughs> me with my mispronunciations. <laughs> um, via Coventry. How did that happen? Do you think, is it like the Tour de France when mayors bid to get their town on the on the route, you know, because of all the publicity millions that all roll in? I would have liked to have seen the film about that. Right. About how the behind-the-scenes documentary of the British town, right. English towns, bidding to be yeah. the kind of stop-off action sequence point. Well, on... to have Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson walk their streets and blow they set... things up on their pavements. Exactly. It's an honour. Yeah. I mean, it's actually Coventry, though, isn't it? I've, d- I've not been to Coventry, but I was, I was just thinking maybe we should ask any Coventry-based listeners or, experience, or, or who maybe have Maybe saw it happening. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so location, that was a really interesting thing. I like the, what they do with the canals of Amsterdam. I mean, from a sort of tourism angle, yep. even though they're shooting each other and, blow, and blowing things up, mm. the tourist board of Amsterdam, I think, are going to be some very happy chappies yeah. and chappesses okay, you having seen it. this film. You, you, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind popping to Amsterdam for an afternoon All right, or what, longer. What did you think of the, the use of music? Oh, just abysmal like so so bad like (laughs) are you saying this because you read my review no uh, I did read your review because I mentioned this and it's the music really really I think emphasised that kind of slightly crummy straight to DVD vibe it's got that sort of very strange it's like music that's the score I'm thinking really more of the the, the soundtrack actually but I mean so you've got the score which Mm. is like this kind of feels like a sort of 90s computer game a Bond rip-off computer game mm-hmm. soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is very, very bad. It's just, it feels like filler score, which they just left in. And then you've got all these kind of, for the second half of the film, you've got all these like soul bangers dropping <laughs> that is a completely different vibe. Right. It feels like it's a different film. Mm. It feels like they maybe got money halfway through making the film ah. or halfway through the editing even and thought, yes, we can actually afford some some pop songs now. Okay. And we've got a backload them all. I mean, this film essentially is an attempt at midnight run by way of Deadpool, no? Mm-hmm. And I I swear they used the theme from Midnight Run late on when they, they're coming, bursting out of a car park in a, in a vehicle. And I'm sure, I did try and Google it to see if there was any reference to it. I'm sure I, I heard a, a bit of a nod, I guess, to ah. what for me is one of the, the all-time great action mismatched body road movie well films. I think it might I think it probably does have a few like I mean I, I wouldn't say delusions of grandeur but it definitely has a kind of bizarre aspirational quality because there's a at uh, the beginning of the film there's a there's a sequence where Ryan Reynolds is protecting a Japanese arms dealer whose name is Kurosawa <gasps> and you think oh wow is this a reference to Akira Kurosawa and uh, I'm not sure I saw it in there no um I think it's one of those things that I just wanted to say Kurosawa okay. and then move on. Well, it's a Japanese name. It's like apropos of nothing. Oh, and, and, and I just want to mention one last thing. Mm. I was very keen, I don't think this is a spoiler, but I was very keen on Gary Oldman's facial scarring. Like he had this kind of molting skin thing on his face, which was yeah. very convincing. And it I was did like, look good, didn't is, it? was that Gary Oldman going method or was that was that makeup or... Well, it's amazing what they can do these days. Indeed. Uh, speaking of which, can I shock you? Go on. Samuel L. Jackson is 68. He's almost 70. No. 
No. Is that not possible? That's Have I read that, is that a lie, do you think? How fantastic was Selma Hayek in this film, by the way? Oh yeah, it's nice. I think she had a you know she had a nice little camp, well sort of supporting role, and right. she did it really really nicely. I thought, and yeah, I liked her. What, I liked what her. was it you called her in your review? Can you remember the phrase? Oh God, berserker mole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought that sounded quite yeah. nicely. Basically, this film, by and large, I think nine out of the ten reviews I saw, pretty much panned it. So I was actually really quite impressed at how entertaining it was within mm. its limitations, which it is very aware of. What scores would you give it, David? Well, my expectations for it initially were were pretty low. Mm. It did look like a kind of cheapo, you know, filler action comedy. Action comedy is never a good sign, I don't think. Uh, so it was probably a two. And then, yeah, I had I had a fairly nice time with it, and I, I, I giggled a few times. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I went so far as to laugh, but I definitely kind of ha ha, you know, right. Which and is the, not a laugh. Which is a three. Yeah, yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that was. That, that's the tiredness coming through there. All right. And then I, 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 I'm not sure I'd ever re- need to revisit the, revisit this one. So okay. a two, a three, two, two, three, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Work for you. Yeah, I'd be on board. I wouldn't. I'd say like three at the time, maybe three and a half. I, yeah. I laughed. I wouldn't be too down on it. I'd give it a three afterwards as well. I, you know, there are much worse ways you could spend an afternoon, uh, or indeed evening, at the cinema. But go. Go with somebody whose uh, opinion not, you're not that bothered by. Mm. Don't go with somebody you're hoping to impress with your choice of movie. You know, it's that kind of film. Anyway, if you were looking to impress somebody with a movie, we might have just the thing coming up after this. Right, so our second film today is Quest, the first feature-length documentary by Jonathan Olszewski, uh, who originally started following uh, the Rainey family in North Philadelphia, I think for a photo feature, is that right, David? Mm -hmm. And because of the way that events unfolded and because of his growing bond with the people of of the family, Christina, PJ and Christopher, the titular quest himself, he just kept the cameras rolling over the course of a decade. And he's edited down an hour and 40 of this the, as I said at the start, trials and tribulations, really, of this of this family through the Obama years, right up to the arrival of Trump. What did you make of it? Oh, I was really impressed by this film. I really liked it. I saw it at the uh, Sheffield Doc Fest, mm. which was a really nice place to see it. And uh, the director was there as well with his producer. Um, and they were sort of explaining the whole kind of joyful toil of putting this thing together. And I think one of the things, I remember them saying that they, they, they obviously loved being with this family they felt that they had kind of become friends with them and were, and it wasn't the case that they were just oh you know there was this feeling that they were just there to, to leech off their lives make a film keep mm. the cameras rolling and just not be a part of them they were actually they sort of became friends and family members and part of their lives so I think that's the reason why you get this very empathetic and realistic and truthful portrait and, and very intimate as well and very, yes really intimate I mean it's like it's rare that you get a family willing to kind of open up about the issues and talking points and troubles that they have mm. in such a way. And they do have plenty of troubles from the big events that we see, whether in news footage or the kind of landmarks of recent American history, to their day-to-day issues with everything from finding school supplies to more dramatically stray bullets. Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those films that, I mean, there isn't really a, an arc to it. I think a lot of documentaries, what they try and do is like they try and enforce an arc. They try and build a kind of 
a story as if it would be told in like a fictional film. Yeah, so you've or got the... that's the reason they made the documentary. There was a question that they wanted to have resolved and they go in search of the answer. Exactly, yeah. And, and wh- that doesn't happen in this film. No, this, that's what I really like about this film because it doesn't. It never tries to enforce a kind of three-act thing or try to sort of build a journey. It really emphasises the fact that life is very... Different things happen from day to day. One day it's highs, tomorrow it's lows, then it's back to highs again. And, mm. you know, it's very changeable. People change and develop and relationships change and the people around you change. And you can't, you just can't really capture that in, in a sort of conventional fictional movie. This film is it's less of a story and more of a kind of painting or a portrait of a mm. family, following them across a bunch of time. There are kind of some very dramatic events that do happen throughout the film and the director does follow them through but it's always you know setting them against this backdrop of like the community of the the city of the 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 state of the country this kind of very intimate portrait almost becomes a kind of microcosm for america during the kind of the new uh uh, decade Mm. the, the new century one of the things that made this such a pleasure for me was that the family the three central protagonists, they just seem like such beautiful people. Mm. Does that sound a little bit wet to say that? No, I mean, I think, no, no, no. They're, they're very charming, but they're very honest and they're very open and they're very generous. And it's remarkable how positive they remain. And that it's a very likable thing about this film. And I've got to say, though, I was a little bit underwhelmed by it myself. Okay. Um, Possibly because I'm a bit of a narrative junkie. You know, like, Hope Dreams is a film you could compare this to where clearly there is a question that's got to be resolved by the passage of time that we're experiencing. Will the characters get where they, they're trying to get to? These characters are plainly going nowhere. Oh, but I think it questions what that means, where, yeah. what going somewhere means. And but like, in terms and of what you might expect from a, a, a documentary that focuses on a family, you know, is their journey taking them somewhere? Are the questions going to be resolved? That's not what this film is about. So in that sense, I, I, mean, I don't mean that disparagingly. They're going nowhere. Mm. They're living in you know borderline poverty, poverty in, in really difficult Co- circumstances. Borderline Coventry. Did I say co- Coventry? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Speaking of which, we've got Coventry news coming up later on as well, actually. <laughs> um, I think my real issue was... I, I liked the family and I I liked, I enjoyed the the gentle, almost passive a- approach that the director takes. But I found it a little bit almost too passive that it, uh, there are such big issues, some such big themes being played out in the background of, of these families' events that I almost wanted to go and find out about some of the other characters who were around. You get little bursts of passion. There's one particularly impassioned speech about the violence, about the lack of role models. I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. It, I wouldn't call it a lack of ambition because this is a massive task that the director has taken on, the, the, this body of work. But it, I, I just wondered whether he could have done more with it and, and made something a little bit more stirring. But possibly, as I say, I'm a bit of a, a narrative junkie. Oh, I don't know. I think I, I would disagree with you there. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt that his kind of there's a ringer there that I really admired, that he tries to stick with this family and try and not emulate their perspectives as, uh, so much, but as try and see the world through their eyes mm. and um, show the things they see, try and you know depict the things they're feeling and the questions that they're personally having to deal with. And it's, I just love the fact that 
is focused and you know it's not about the director it's not about what the director wants to know it's not about the director finding stuff out finding a story it's about let's just look at the world through these people's eyes for some time and mm. sit and see what they see and see what they deal with and i think that it does leave that gap for you to then it, it almost becomes a game of interpretation about the bigger emphasis and the bigger relevance of of their lives um but yeah, I had a good time with it. Okay, it's certainly an opening film. And I was particularly impressed with the seamless way that the 10 years is basically melted down in, in to this, what, an hour 41. I didn't quite get stirred by it the way that some people have. I've seen it called one of the most important films about the American experience ever made, which for me is possibly overstating it a bit much, but it's a unique window into what for most people would be another way of living. Mm, absolutely, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, w- I think that statement's maybe a little uh, hyperbolic, mm. but uh, I'm on this film's side. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, how much so, numerically oh, speaking? So I'd probably give it... I, I, I guess I haven't really qualified anything about what I didn't like about it, but I still don't think What it's, didn't you like about it? I'm not entirely sure, but it, I just don't think it's a kind of five-star movie. I think there's maybe... It's very hushed and delicate, and yeah. I don't necessarily feel that what it's doing is completely original. I think there are, there are other documentary makers who have done similar things before in the past and I think you know he's got great subjects and he's he's edited it's been edited really beautifully and it's you know he's captured a story but like but would you agree then that there is a slight lack of ambition in in his approach to the oh I I don't know about that I mean I I think it's very ambitious um the project is okay but I I think it's the word ambitious that I'm sort of uh, Mm. stuck on here a bit I don't mean lazy I just mean that he's he's taken a deliberately low-key as I say almost passive approach Mm. to this documentary he's pointed a camera he's done a lot of work in the editing but um yeah anyway sorry so you I, were saying i would give it fours across the board okay well, that's which nice. is like high fours i would give it threes across the board okay so that's quest if you'd like to see for yourself it is screening at selected cinemas in london dublin and manchester or from friday the 18th of august it's going to be streaming on amazon prime video Hmm. Now, slight change of pace after this as we bring you this week's Film Club. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right, film club. But before that, David, news about Coventry. Well, we've got a bit of a shock revelation. Mm. The hitman's bodyguard, yep. Coventry, yep. they never actually went. <sighs> it was all a sham. How disappointed the, the mayor is. Extremely. I would be. Gutted. Anyway, never mind. Here comes Film Club, in which every week we select a classic film, one you may have missed or one that's worthy of reappraising, and offer it to you for your perusal. Now, this week... Because there's been the re- well, the release rather of the Dark Tower, which is the latest Stephen King adaptation, which we're steering well clear of uh, this week for reasons which you may have seen. We decided to go with the Stephen King adaptation. There's loads of that. How many? How many Stephen King adaptations do you know, David? Apparently sixty. That's crazy. Sixty films made from his books. Yeah, yeah. What's your uh, favourite Stephen King adaptation? Oh, my favourite Stephen King adaptation is uh, the film Carrie. And why do you like that one so much? Because it's amazing. Good. Simple as. Yeah, and that was that was the one that really made him as a as a name, Stephen King. Is that right? Yeah, that was the one that was picked up before he was famous, mm. and Brian De Palma happened to just make an incredible movie out of it. And uh, if you've seen it, it's extraordinary. Sissy Spacek is is just the perfectly cast outsider, bully, telekinetic harpy witch um so yeah it's uh, it's amazing anyway that was carrie but that's not the film we picked. no 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 we asked you the, the the listeners indeed to choose for us and your verdict was this when i was growing up in bakersfield my favorite thing in all the world was to go to the movies on saturday afternoons for the chapter plays cliffhangers i know that mr man they also call them serials i'm not stupid you know Anyway, my favorite was Rocket Man. And once it was a no-breaks chapter. And the bad guys stuck him in a car on a mountain road and knocked him out and welded the door shut and tore out the brakes and started him to his death. And he woke up and tried to steer and tried to get out, but the car went off a cliff before he could escape. And it crashed and burned and I was so upset and excited. And the next week, you better believe I was first in line. And they always start with the end of the last week. And there was Rocket Man trying to get out. And here comes the cliff. And just before the car went off the cliff, he jumped free, and all the kids cheered. But I didn't cheer. I stood right up and started shouting, This isn't what happened last week! Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us! This isn't fair! He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car! Yeah, I'm so with her on that. Well, well played, madam. <laughs> that, of course, the wonderful Cathy uh, Bates. Were you? Was that a similar thing to the M twenty five scene in uh, With That? Like, Sorry, I shouldn't ever bring no. that up again. <laughs> you don't know how right you are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Cathy uh, Bates, who of course joins uh, James Caan in the terrific nineteen ninety Rob Reiner film Misery. Uh, his uh, selection, David, of, of, of listeners' thoughts. Duncan Bailey, what an incredible film, easily my favourite SK adaptation. I watch it four or five times a year. It's lost none of its power. Uh, Ruth Muirhead, The Shining, is my favourite, but Kathy Bates deserves every accolade, legend, and Sayer Feather, she deserved her Oscar, but she was even better in Dolores Claiborne, and that was a much better film, which um, Stephen King wrote for 
Kathy Bates. Oh, did he? Because he liked her so much in Misery. Right, OK. And here's something else I, I didn't know, certainly. This was actually James Carr making a comeback. Uh, he'd spent much of the 80s coaching children's sports after a, a kind of family trauma. What a comeback it was. Yeah, and I, I mean, he, he certainly wasn't first on the list for, for the role. There were tons and tons of people in, ahead of him. But, mm. you know, glad he got there in the end. Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, here's another fact about Misery. Stephen King was struggling with drug addiction at the time of writing Misery and says the character Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, was a metaphor for drugs who were his number one fan. Isn't that interesting? Um, David, for anyone who didn't do their homework, could you do a quick cliff notes on Misery? So the, fil- the film is about a romance novelist. He's finished his, the final book of his series and he's driving through a snowy snowy mountain way and crashes his car. And who is there to pick him out of the wreckage but Kathy Bates, who is a psycho. And uh, <laughs> she uh, straps him to a bed and locks him in a room and uh, makes him write another book. Nice pricey. Now, you saw this for the first time this weekend, didn't you? Yeah. Yep. How did it stand up from far away 1990? Yeah, no, I, re- I enjoyed it very much. It, it felt just very robustly directed. And I don't say that to sort of put it down. It was a film with a, a real tremendous sense of purpose. Mm. It all fit together. Everything was kind of loaded with meaning and mm. the characters were well well drawn and it felt convincing. And the thing about Stephen King is that he does sort of variations on a the theme. He has his little pet themes that he comes back to over and over again and sort of places him on the screen or on the in the text in a slightly different variation. What kind of thing? He loves a car crash. Mm-hmm. Lots of car crashes in, in his films. Bullies are, are a, a big thing in his films. I think that Annie, Annie Wilkes' character... I mean, obviously, you say before that he that she was a kind of representative of, of a kind of personal vice of his. Mm. She also seems to represent all these things that he despises about America and American culture. You know, there's there's a very funny bit where um, James Kahn finds one of her scrapbooks and he's flicking through it and that the big thing that you see in the screen is like a big Nixon pendant. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, typical. Yeah. Well, OK, that's interesting because I remember this film from seeing it when it came out and what a terrifying figure she emerges as. But watching it again, it, it kind of struck me that this is almost a comedy. It's almost... Uh, a spoof almost, an affectionate dig at the whole genre of melodramatic horror. Bearing in mind it's got the same director as Spinal Tap, the same director and same writer, William Goldman, as The Princess Bride, with which it shares that great balance of both doing but also rolling your eyes and nodding and, and winking at your subject matter. You've got the, the whole melodrama, the way it's framed, all the thunder and lightning, the, the weird tilted cameras as the storyline gets more dramatic, particularly that bit where... James Kahn reads the scrapbook, which is all about what a terrible person she is, and the clippings are about all the patients that she's murdered. But the first thing he sees is the fact that, oh my God, she voted for Nixon. Um, <laughs> plus, and you talk about this is the America that Stephen King fears, people who can't pronounce Dom Perignon properly. Oh, people yeah. in flyover country, they're terrifying. <laughs> Did you know that when I uh, write a review for Little White Lies, yeah. I have a bottle of Don Perignon on ice and a single Lucky Strike <laughs> cigarette ready for me for when I've uh, written the final full stop. I just hope that one day you don't have a road accident that involves you being rescued by a crazed <laughs> listener. And that's the other thing. It's, he, he has the kind of intrepid investigator who, via this very, very long protracted series of coincidences, eventually, after this long period, finds his way 
to the scene of the crime or he, he gets so close but not I, again I don't want to don't want to spoil anything but no I think um, I mean, the, the, the purpose of this bit hopefully everyone's seen it yes um, mm. but I think that what's really interesting about this so I watched this film with my wife and we had a, we had a charming conversation afterwards because I want to give her credit for this comment but she said it's really refreshing to see a film where it was the the man getting tortured by a woman hmm. I was sort of talking to her about whether she felt that it is a kind of maybe slightly sort of misogynist film about, that is kind of female hating. It's sort of building the worst woman in the world mm. who likes terrible trash literature, eats Doritos, watches awful TV. You know, you, you maligns religion as a way to sort of justify her very bizarre life choices mm. and, you know, also as a kind of a, a reason behind her increasing sense of violence as well. But Which she you, said as she picked up the mallet and swung it at your ankles. Indeed, yes. <laughs> no, she didn't do that. She she let me off this week. OK. Uh, so, so, but, you know, she felt it was refreshing to her. Oh, yeah. No, she. it was, you know, you, you so often see the man torturing the woman mm. and often the woman doesn't survive. So... This is flip reversed. Yeah, absolutely. Which is very refreshing. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. I'd never... Like, I've seen Kathy Bates in, a, in you know, a lot of other films in sort of slightly smaller roles and she never sort of leaps off the screen in, any, in anything I've seen her in. I think she was... One of the films I really liked her in the past was about Schmidt, the Alexander Payne film. But I wish I'd seen this film years and years and years ago so I could have understood the hype okay about Kathy Bates the Bates hype because now you get it now I get it right and you know credit to, to Rob Reiner as well I yeah. mean one of the best sequences in the film is it's a super super simple setup where she goes off to the shop and he breaks out of his room and you're kind of you have this kind of parallel edited watching her doing her stuff and watching him explore the house for the first time and you get to see their sort of proximity she goes away and then she's coming back and the ticking clock and whether we'll get back in time. And it just does that. The sense of pace, the editing, the way it's shot, it's just bang on, really. I mean, I think that fair play to Reiner for that. I mean, he watched a lot of Hitchcock before oh. making the film and I think it shows. I think it does. Yeah, absolutely. Rob Reiner, a terrific director and what, what a body of work he has as well. That is then this week's Film Club. I hope you enjoyed it. What are we inviting people to revisit next week, David? So next week, to celebrate the release of a new Steven Soderbergh film called Logan Lucky, we are going to be looking at one of his older films called The Limey from 1999. Mm. Uh, stars Terence Stamp as a Cockney assassin. And it's sort of uh, homage to uh, 60s gangster movies. Yeah. And, uh, Very poignant film. I, I really enjoyed this film. I'm delighted we're going to get a chance to go back and, and look at it again. Yeah, it's really good. I remember when it came out, it was a bit... It, it didn't really make much of an impact when it came out. It was quite a sort of very sort of weird, mm. esoteric kind of thing that people didn't really embrace. And I, and I think it is something that since... I think its stature will have grown. I haven't seen it in a long time, mm. to be honest, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. He again. plays a, an ageing East End gangster, but it's anything but a gangster film, and perhaps that it, it fell between different kind of, what's the expression, yeah. stools, camps. Um, just to whet your appetite, listener, here's a clip. Terry Valentine. Do you know him? And, and who are you? Wilson. My name's Wilson. Well, Wilson, to start, I never heard of you. Well, I'm not that well known. Except around certain districts and police nicks, you know. Police what? Who me? No. 
can't be bothered. Hey, 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 who, who the f are you? And how did you get in here? Only a little bird told me that you and Terry Valentine have business dealings I don't together. know anybody named Terry Valentine. Don't you? Now you take a walk, pal, okay? You're making a big mistake. Come on. Come on, come on. Hey! What you been up to, pal? What oh. you been doing, son? You got a bunch of ideas up. And stat there. Right, looking forward to hearing more of that and then having a good old chat about it in next week's show. And do let us know your thoughts on The Limey uh, by sending them to truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or on Twitter at LWLies. Also in next week's show, it's a busy one, David, we've got American Made, Logan Lucky, as you mentioned, and also Detroit. Ooh, that's quite an intense film. Yeah, it's going to be a big week. It certainly will. Anything else you want to mention before we put this puppy to bed? Um, I'm always thinking of things I want to mention in the podcast, right. and when you ask me, I always, I always forget them all. Okay, the Nosferatu remake, which reunites the witch team. That sounds interesting. With Robert Eggers and Anya Taylor-Joy, they're going to uh, do a new take on Nosferatu. That's oh, right. exciting, isn't it? I actually love the um, Werner Herzog one oh. from the 70s with Klaus Kinski already, yeah. so let's mm. see if they can improve on that. Now, was that in the 70s? Was it that long ago? Yeah, 70s, I think, late yeah. 70s, early 80s. Fantastic. What, what a score that has, eh? Oh, yeah, Popple Vu. Is that how you pronounce it? I've no idea. I um, didn't know sorry. that was his name was, but they <laughs> terrific knowledge. Full marks to you. Uh, can I mention something then? If you're a fan of Bond movies or anything kind of related to the cinematic universe thereof, then you'll probably know all about uh, Mr. Ken Shabby's Smirsh Pod. And I had the honour of featuring in Smirsh Pod last week, in which, David, I discussed for over an hour Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Wow, that that sounds intense. <laughs> it was. It was hard to pack it all in. I've yeah. just thought of one thing I want to give a shout-out to. Please. I want to give a shout-out to my cousin Rob. Hi, Rob. He's a fan, so be pleased you, you said that. And um, I hadn't seen him for a long time. Right. And uh, it transpired he was a big fan of the show. Oh. And uh, he had loads of questions for me about it. And when you're hauling me out of a snowbound car crash, do go easy on my ankles. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's it then for this week's Truth and Movies. Uh, and I do hope you enjoyed it and you'll join us again next week. Many thanks to producer Tom and Matt, and you especially, David. No, thanks very much for having me. And you, listener. We'll see you again next week. This has been a Seven Digital production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.